This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today I am back at my undergraduate institution, Grand Valley State University, and I'm speaking with two of my former professors, Dave Coffey and John Golden. Dave, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you. And John as well. Thank you. We're going to be talking about some alternative outlets for sharing ideas and thinking about mathematics education. So on this podcast, if you listen frequently, you'll know that I usually recruit a guest who has recently published something in a peer-reviewed journal and we speak about their study that has been published in those journal outlets. But there are some other outlets and ways of sharing and in some ways I think there's some advantages to these alternative outlets. So we'll get into a conversation about those, particularly blogging as a way to share mathematics thinking and uh, communicate ideas with the field. But before we get to that conversation, I want to ask you each uh, where you did your graduate studies uh, and who you worked with there at your graduate institution. So uh, I was just on the road at Western Michigan University. My dissertation advisor was Christine Brownie, and I looked at uh, sort of the intersection of math assessments and beliefs about what it means to do mathematics. Mm-hmm. John? Um, I was at Penn and Penn State with Nigel Hickson in mathematics, not math education. Okay, sure. And then when did you make the transition towards math education? Kind of between graduating and being hired here. (laughs) So so one way that I've been able to stay in touch with you since I left Grand Valley is through your blogs. So Dave Coffey blogs at deltascape.blogspot.com and John has a blog at mathhombre.blogspot.com where you share ideas from your undergraduate teaching, things that you're doing with pre-service teachers, mathematical ideas that you have, reaction pieces to something that you've seen from other people. But I want to go back to the beginning. When was it and how was it that you started to think about blogging or microblogging? Maria Anderson uh, used to run a terrific math technology camp kind of in the summer at Muskegon Community College. And uh, while I was at that, uh, she taught how to use Uh, Snagit and Camtasia and other things to kind of support uh, math teaching, uh, mostly for university and community college faculty. But I was talking about uh, the challenges of keeping in touch with our student teachers. Oh, yeah. And uh, having some idea of what was going on with them day to day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had seminar uh, once a week, but that wasn't enough to kind of have an idea of really what was going on in their classrooms. Um, And she suggested Twitter which uh, I thought was absolutely absurd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what, like around what year was this? Twitter was still pretty early oh on. Oh boy. 2007. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so goodness, it might have been 10 years by this point. Uh, so it was around then. I think my first tweet was like, it's hard to see this amounting to anything. <laughs> the, uh, um, but it turned out to be a really nice uh, way to keep in touch with students. And then as I entered more into Twitter, I started coming into contact with other math teachers. Um, it was the early days of blogging, and there were some uh, great early blogs. Uh, math teacher Mambo, I remember, Shireen, Jonathan Clayton, um, and then people who are kind of famous for it today, like Dan Meyer and Kate Nowak and Sam Shaw. And that got me to start blogging. You know, it, And at first, I was just thinking of it as a way to kind of curate. You know, mm-hmm. I'd preserve links to things that I found that I liked, um, and then that led to 
also kind of curating my own activities and and sharing things with other people. Mm-hmm. And now to come, when I think about it, um, it must have been around 2010, 2011, because I think my first blog posts were in 2011, and I know John started before I did, I think maybe by at least a semester or a yeah. year. And one of the things that I was interested about when John first shared with me what Maria had talked about was this was an opportunity. John and I did a lot of co-teaching together, and there was always this sense of the pre-service teachers didn't get a chance to see that that piece of, mm-hmm. of the teaching, right? They they saw the implementation, but they rarely saw the planning. Mm-hmm. Or and the so, debriefing. Or maybe. the debriefing, or yeah, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And so while John and I are two offices apart, and I'd you know, walk over, he'd walk to, to my office, and we'd have those conversations, I thought this was a way to, to make our, our thinking public mm-hmm. um, so that... I honestly didn't think anybody besides maybe our students would ever see it, but that was this was a chance for me to send some ideas to John or to, like you said, debrief afterwards to really represent what the entire process of, of teaching was like. And I saw blogging do, initially is doing that same thing. A lot of times in our classes there aren't resources available, and it felt like, well, instead of writing a textbook, I could write a, write a blog, and, mm-hmm. and those would be resources that, that my students could have access to. To, and, and again, maybe some of the uh, sort of the first open source textbooks kind of ideas mm-hmm. for, for me. So when I think about some of the blog posts I've read at both of your sites, sometimes it will be something that you've read or seen in you know the field of math education, and then you can give your own reactions or thoughts. And sometimes it's just a way to process what you saw. But you also have posts that are mathematical activities that you've tried, or here's a good problem. But the nice thing is you don't necessarily just put the math problem on there. You'll sometimes share student work. You'll tell the story of how this idea came up when, that, when I did it with students, and this was how we talked about it. Um, and so you can get a little bit of a, an idea for an activity that somebody might do, but also a little bit of insight into how it played out for you and how you thought about handling it. Are there other, other types of blog posts that you've made, or do they all kind of fit into one of those types of categories? If you had a kind of miscellaneous or goofball category, though, <laughs> then that would probably encapsulate it. You know, yeah. Written math fiction or put uh-huh. math art up. Um, sometimes I put guides to using math software like GeoGebra, Desmos, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. We've done some math memes. I mean, there are some things just to have fun. Teaching yeah. hard! Yes, yes. <laughs> Avengers talk teaching, those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I think that... One of the ideas, I think, behind, so like I said, it started with me doing it to have, as John said, curate some ideas that I wanted to make sure that my students had access to. And again, I was that was my first audience with mm-hmm. my students. Mm-hmm. It then got to the point when I, I, I saw some of the feedback and the connections that I was making that there was also this opportunity to do, and I'll probably get hate mail or hate tweets for this, but it was, it was about lesson study. Right, mm-hmm. I was putting lessons out there, and I was oh, looking yeah. for feedback on it. Right, and so it was an opportunity to to see what other people thought, what other people were doing, mm-hmm. and improve the lesson there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is, as I was going farther into that, that that became more of my focus. I wanted to to share what I was doing, but also to get feedback on that. 
Then, as you said, there were those opportunities where there was something that was being said or, or written about that we felt like we needed to, to address and respond to. And it was something that we could respond to immediately and not have to go through mm-hmm. uh, a process. But there were also, I think one of them, I was also able to share, you, you mentioned students' work, but I was also working with grad students and some of the action research that they were doing. I was able to share that as well. And again, I could have sat down and written that up and, and gone through the peer review, but then it's behind a paywall. And right. what we also, I think, are, are both pretty adamant about is that we want you know teachers that's, particularly to have access to the, to the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's a big feature. Thinking about this, one of the other things at the beginning, Dave's very good at encouraging uh, kind of holistic practice. So the idea of that we're engaged in the kind of learning that we want our students to be engaged in. Right. And we encourage our students to write because we know, it, we know it's good for learning, right? They consolidate, they formulate, they're able to kind of pose what comes next. Blogging was a place where I did that, where I wasn't, I was, wasn't finding that I was doing it anywhere else. So it really made me reflect on, on my teaching in a different way. So it didn't even matter if nobody saw it or nobody responded. I was, it was really just kind of a motivation to write to learn. Mm-hmm. That brings us into some of the benefits and drawbacks, and I want to ask you about that for blogging. And I've been recently thinking about the benefits and drawbacks of this kind of open sharing of ideas, and the internet is wonderful for this kind of thing, versus submit to a journal, the editor sends it out to some reviewers, you wait five, six months, you get feedback from the reviewers, then you maybe send it out again. And I just had an activity that I wrote with my brother uh, about systems of learning equations. So this was kind of a nice idea. We thought this is a good activity. It helps some conceptual understanding discussions happen. So we wanted to share it, and we decided to go the journal route through Mathematics Teacher, and it took about two and a half years to come out for anybody else to see it, when it's just a little activity that you might do for one day of class, you know, which seems kind of ridiculous in the 21st century for anything to take that long to share an idea. So John mentioned that blogs have this benefit of you can, you can engage in, the own, in your self-study kind of reflection that helps your own learning. A drawback of journal publishing is just the length of time that it might take. And then when it's published, it might cost $45 for somebody to actually get access to it. So those are a couple. What are other benefits that you see for blogging? Or then we can get into some drawbacks of blogging as well. So it's not like blogging is perfect. And what? <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, um, the community aspect is what's become the, kind of the biggest aspect to me that, you know, by kind of engaging in this kind of vulnerable practice where you're asking other people's comment or at least observation of what you're doing, that you enter into community with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the math Twitter blogosphere has um, become a very important part of my professional life, supports me in working with pre-service teachers, supports me when I'm in the classroom, working directly with K-12 students. I literally learn things every day you know, mm-hmm. from the teachers we interchange with on there. So to support the community is part of it because of the comment boards and the fact that people respond directly, and that's part of blogging culture is that you do respond and engage in conversation. But is it also that do you feel more vulnerable when you put up a blog post? Like you can put something up there that's imperfect, whereas if you were going to submit it to a journal, do you feel like you basically want to clean it up and have it be more polished? And that sort of maybe closes you off to as many interactions because it's your polished product that you're putting forward instead of more like your raw thoughts that you're putting out there? Um, It could be. Uh, I mean, uh, something I need to work on in my professional practice is more of the, the journal type writing. 
but the, the other thing is the, the language of it is different. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, blogging to me, the immediacy, as you talked about, fits a lot more with what I think about situated practice. You know, I'm not pretending that this is a lesson that everyone should use mm-hmm. or that it would be the same for everyone or that the learning gains would be the same. Instead, I'm sharing my story of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's fascinating. Some of these lessons that get taught in many places like uh, Barbie Bungie, mm-hmm. it becomes just fascinating reading all the different experiences that students and uh, teachers have with it. Yeah, I think about it also differently. I mean, both of you I've talked to about um, sort of this design thinking in education avenue that I'm taking. And I see blogging as being prototyping, where it allows open space for other people to be able to make adjustments. Um, When I've written for journals, it feels much more like I'm trying to present something that's whole cloth, that's Mm -hmm. not meant to be changed yeah. that's not the case I, I would hope anything anybody who right. reads any of my stuff is, is looking at it and saying oh what could how could I could use this in my classroom but it just has a different feel especially mm-hmm. when it's going through that formal process of yeah. review and revision that that we're trying to get to something else and, and I've appreciated having that white space that allows people to say well I do this differently it, it almost invites it mm-hmm. I would also say and I think you did some some numbers on this for John that there's probably a better likelihood that my blog gets seen than something I've written for mm-hmm. um, one of the journals, especially mm-hmm. one of the ones that's behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. Right. Last year, or maybe it was a year and a half ago now or so, I did a quick YouTube video because I had kind of some reactions to a Common Core debate yeah. that was happening. And I'm positive that that YouTube video got more eyeballs on it than anything I've written so far yeah. in journals. Yeah. With YouTube or with blogs or with Twitter, you're tapping into something that people use on a daily basis and they're used to consuming information and and engaging with information that way. And I think that's an important piece too. I might get um, one of the journals in the mail and it's going to sit there. If I, you know, I'm reading a blog, I'm actively looking for that blog. I, mm-hmm. You know, it's something, it's not just because it, sh- it popped up. Mm-hmm. I'm more often, it may pop up in my Twitter stream and it looks like something I'd be interested in doing, but I, there's a, a lot more active engagement than, mm-hmm. I don't know, the, the, does that make sense that the, yeah. that the journal seems just a lot more static? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what about drawbacks though? So, to blogging, are there some limitations or some things that you do get frustrated by? Um, sometimes things are embarrassingly unpolished. <laughs> you know, you publish things really before you know they're they're ready to be shared. But uh, humility is a good thing. So <laughs> sometimes that that works out with that. For me, it's it's really about being able to get into sort of a rhythm. Uh, and I, for a variety of reasons, I've gotten out of that rhythm recently and I found it found it difficult to get back in. Mm-hmm. I was pretty good about for a while publishing once a week something Mm -hmm. which probably also got into why we were doing some silly stuff too because it was once a week and I was trying to do that I was trying to do that once a week and I was also trying using some like design thinking ideas 
saying I was only going to spend an hour and then it was going to be published. And I could always go back and revise it later, but, mm-hmm. but I was going to try to, to maintain to that. Mm-hmm. And getting out of that habit, it's interesting how difficult it is to get back into mm-hmm. it. I found myself falling back more into, wait, this isn't ready to publish, whereas I'd gotten to the very, mm-hmm. what does it matter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, that, so that timing, I think, getting back into that routine has been difficult for me. And I, and I recognize not everybody has the same amount of time that that John and I have. I think on the other end, and you brought up the Common Core, it's not just necessarily the blogging from our perspective, but it's all the other people who are blogging and how do, and we do want our students to be aware of what's out there, the good stuff, all of the stuff, but we also want them to be critical consumers of of that. And, Mm -hmm. And what happens you know, especially uh, some of our pre-service teachers who come in and have read something about what was the Common Core one about oh, Johnny? Letter from a parent. A letter from a parent. Oh yeah. yeah, and and they have a real sense that that's what the Common Core is, and and it takes mm-hmm. it takes effort, and and it's well worth it. I think that effort is well worth it, but it takes effort to be able to to say, well, wait a minute, that's not what the Common Core says, and 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 pull out and actually do some deep reading, um, some close reading of the what the Common Core does say. I, I, you know, I, I have now got a PDF of page five of the Common Core to say what it is and what, what it is <laughs> right. that I share with my It's students. not an instructional program. Exactly. It's, a, yeah. <laughs> it's not a cur- curriculum. It's not, yeah. yeah. And, and, and in fact, there's some really strong language in there that it trusts teachers to make instructional decisions about order that they do the work in, the order that they attend to the standards in, or even how they combine those standards. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always been a powerful piece for me that's often mm-hmm. often ignored. Yeah, the kind of very democratic nature of the blogosphere also means that it's not coherent, right? So if especially uh, you see people wanting to use it kind of as a curriculum uh, to find that's where they're going to find their lessons, mm-hmm. um, and there's not a coherence to it. Um, the NCTM recently had a letter that was kind of warning against that, although mm-hmm. perhaps in overblown terms. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, And so uh, some of the important work that's being done now, I think, is using those materials to build something that's coherent mm-hmm. uh, and, and use in open educational resources like illustrative math really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. And then informal things like Sam Shah's virtual file cabinet to really organize things like Jeff Crawl's problem-based learning curriculum maps. Emergent math, yeah. I used yeah. a lot of that work in an algebra course that I just mm-hmm. taught. So. And Dan Meyer is so good at uh, kind of adding on that layer of organization mm-hmm. with like the collection of three-act uh, math tasks. Or mm-hmm. He just kind of thinks that way. I think that's the way he approaches things is how to build structure. Mm-hmm. One drawback that people would probably cite is the lack of peer review, because like you were saying, you know, you can post something up there, it can be not quite polished yet or whatever, and so they might say, well, then you end up with maybe some garbage posts or some ideas that aren't worth very much, but somebody put it up there because they have a blog. But what I've noticed in consuming blogs and reading them is that I notice it seems like the peer review happens after the fact instead of before. So it happens in the comment board where people would say like, you know, this post really misses an important point or here's a different way that you could have done this. And that's sort of a, it's from a peer reviewing what you've written, but it's actually public peer review that's after you've shared your thinking instead of the peer review that's like a gateway that you have to pass through before you are allowed to share it to the field. Yeah, and within peer review sources, that's not a guarantee of quality. Mm-hmm. There's fantastic stuff like your Drew's piece, 
Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, that's not empty flattery. I, re I really liked your approach to it and kind of the exhibition of team, you know, mm -hmm. uh, team play between university and high school. But there are things that appear in the practitioner journals that you wonder, what was the context where this worked? Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm hoping that one of the things that we're doing at the university is helping teachers, pre-service teachers, again, to be the, these consumers that can, can make the necessary adjustments. So I just gave you three books that I said, you know, I couldn't recommend these books. Mm -hmm. They were published. They went through, mm -hmm. they went through a process. But yeah. I would want to make sure that teachers who were using them were using them appropriately and using them for their students. Mm -hmm. So whether my students, when they become teachers and are out in the classroom and are using a curriculum, or they're using um, a blog, or they're using Pinterest. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. in each of those cases, what I'm hoping is that they have gone through enough work with us that they have been critical consumers and are able to make the necessary adjustments that work for them and for their students. I don't think any, any of these should be just taken and, and used, so. But there is that issue of being, mm -hmm. you know, is everyone prepared to be able to, to make those necessary adjustments? Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Dave Coffey and John Golden at Grand Valley State University. I wonder if you could share with our listeners your favorite blog post. So one, I, I shared that a lot of times I'm also sharing my grad students' blog posts. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the favorites is one that was several years ago where um, I was, again, using some design thinking principles and we were looking at issues that were coming up in the classroom and one of the, the teachers was saying, oh, I'm so frustrated with their assessments because all they want to do is give me the answer. I want to know what they're thinking, but they're just giving me the answer. Oh, the answers are on the test. Well, I don't <laughs> care about the answers. I care about their thinking. Mm -hmm. And from that, we got to the point where we said, well, what would happen if we gave them the answer key? Mm -hmm. And so he did a little research study where he gave them, instead of giving them a typical test, he gave them a test that had the answers on and asked them to write, you know, what, how do you think these answers came about? And he said he got a whole lot of different perspective from what the students thought mm -hmm. because of that. And, and in to the point also that there were some students who liked it because in the past there would have been so much anxiety about getting the right answer, they no longer had to, to worry about that. So that blog post was one that, um, that I often share as, as an example of why I, I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Sam warned us that this question was coming. And, um, it's so hard to, to pick because so many blog posts are written for different different reasons. But definitely Dave and I share the experience of Mystery Teacher Theater 3000, or 2000. 2000. Can't even remember my own <laughs> acronym. And that kind of pulled us into the Met Boss as we play acted with terrible video recording and audio quality, um, just uh, people sarcastically responding to a Sal Khan video. It started out of classroom practice though, yeah, so my students, we were looking at different ways of teaching integer uh, computation and, and the rules that are essentially go along with that. And so we were looking at several different resources that were available for that. Mm -hmm. Salcon was one of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had to keep coming up. So, so I asked them to watch all three different 
I won't even mention who the other ones were, but I asked them to watch all three of them, and we could not get through the Khan Academy video without them going, what? I mean, and I told John afterwards, I said it was like an episode of Mystery Science Theater. Mm -hmm. And John and I had also been very interested in in trying some improv, so we figured this would be... So none of that was written out. I said it was all... It was an attempt to to sort of combine those things. And then, as you were saying, one of the things that we I think both of us see as a role of a blog is response to and there mm-hmm. was uh, an article I think it was in USA Today that um, set me over the edge and I said John let's do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, we still generate I think it must be one of the most disliked videos on YouTube in terms of ratio of uh-huh. uh, uh, yeah. thumbs downs to thumbs ups and we get to one or three uh, comments a week about uh, what jealous imbeciles we are uh-huh but didn't you kind of get the last laugh because didn't Sal Khan end up revising that exact video that you commented oh, almost on? Almost immediately the yeah. video came down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The only place I think you can see the video is if you watch our video. <laughs> Which is the punishment fitting the crime. <laughs> Um, so Dave Coffey's blog is deltascape.blogspot.com. John Golden's at mathhomebrae.blogspot.com. You're also on Twitter if you want to give your Twitter handles. Delta underscore DC. At mathhomebrae. And uh, I want to ask one final question. So I ask all my guests to imagine an alternative career. So if you weren't in math education and if you weren't just a full-time online blogger, <laughs> what... <laughs> What would you see as a possible alternative career for yourself? Wait, was that blogger thing? Is that an option? <laughs> when I was young, what I what I always wanted to do, and I, I, I guess I think I still do this to some cases, be a storyteller. Mm. I wanted to, to write stories, to write fiction. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought that that was just an amazing. People who could do that just were amazing to me and I, and I tried doing it but could, could never get past you know 20 pages or something and then mm-hmm. feel like uh, it was just derivative of something else that I'd written mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. Um, so so I you know having done a, another book a dissertation you know which <laughs> ended up being about 300 pages and you yeah, know well. sometimes I, I think I could go back and maybe you know try something like that again mm-hmm. but I'd love yeah. to say it. we're trying to encourage him right now to write a book on education as seen by Calvin and Hobbes yeah, I love those. I'd love to see how would it, you know, how could you teach Calvin and Hobbes? I love, would love to like show the, the um, comic strip and then talk about sort of some, what are some of the teaching practices that uh, Miss Wormwood does that's positive or, or maybe <laughs> might want to change. I call so, dibs on playing Miss Wormwood. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> we get into that. So. so I was, I was very close to being an astrophysicist instead of a mathematician. Uh, I loved cosmology. Um, my backup plan my whole youth was to be a clown if the mm-hmm. academic stuff didn't work out. Okay. And uh, uh, You I, haven't been dabbling in that recently, have you? <laughs> I think I maybe heard about that. <laughs> I, I, have you heard how you, what you do if you're approached by a pack of clowns? No. You go for the juggler. Sorry. <laughs> it can't You'll add in the rim shot. Yeah, I'll put in the whole lap. <laughs> so the, uh, um, so, uh, or um, art. I love, I love to draw and oh, paint. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that would be great to do. Tag team wrestling, too. Tag team wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, if we'll have to have another entry to the YouTube channel if you do that and get some more downvotes, probably. <laughs> I had some uh, students who do try to win free tickets uh, this past semester to a wrestling event. Did a whole mathematically themed wrestling video. Mm. It was oh, spectacular. Nice. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak about this topic. I think it's really fascinating, and I do think it has a lot to offer the field um, as a counterpoint to going through the formal process. So thanks for sharing your insights on that. Uh, it's a real treat to be on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally feel like, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not yeah. worthy. Uh, and I love the work you're doing um, as you get researchers to relate. You're giving them some of that blogging experience about doing the think aloud about where mm -hmm. the research come from. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a very valuable service. Yeah, Thank you. And congratulations for being our alumni in residence. Very, very happy to be here. It's been yeah. a wonderful visit. So okay, nice talking to you. Yep, Thank you.